Hello, heroes, and welcome to another exciting episode of One Shot. I'm James D'Amato, your Game Master. This week we have a double feature for you. We start things off with Fool's Journey, a short, fun storytelling game that has players draw inspiration from tarot cards. Because Fool's Journey was a short session, I'm also including my interview with Tanya DePass of I Need Diverse Games. Tanya has been working hard for the past year to bring a discussion of inclusive diversity to video and tabletop gaming. Just this month, she took steps to take her work on I Need Diverse Games full-time. I think it's a great project that could really use more support. Tanya and I spend the bulk of our time discussing exactly what folks mean when they say diversity and what a more diverse tabletop community actually means for the hobby. Finally, I want to remind heroes that the Paracosm Press party game, designed to help you develop new character voices, Noisy Person Cards, is available to print and play for free right now. Kat and I will be kickstarting a full version in 2016, but for now, we want as many people trying and sharing it as possible. Download the game, try it for yourself, and tell a friend. If you're looking for updates, you can sign up for the NPC mailing list at paracosmpress.com. That's P-A-R-A-C-O-S-M-Press.com slash NPC. And now, let's thank some Patreon backers. Christopher Summerfield, thank you. Thank you, Chris. Uh, Matthew Punamali. Thank you so much, Matthew. Thank you, Matt. Aaron Wilk. Aaron Wilk, thank you. Thank you, Aaron. A.A. Ron. <laughs> thank you. Hi, Aaron. I'm sure you're not sick of that joke yet. Mm, uh, I feel like Keen Peel hasn't been long enough that uh, he's sick of it. He probably still loves it. Eric Bloom. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Eric. Daniel Johnstone. Thank you so much. Thank you, Daniel. Mike Poon. Mike Poon. I thank- love your little beholder symbol. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you. Russell Leggett. Thank you. Thank you, Russell. James Sullivan. Thank you so much. Thank you, James Sullivan. Brian Click. Gillick. Brian Gillick. <laughs> thank, thank you, you, Brian. Eric Haberkamp. Thank you. Joseph Scott. Thank you. Mr. Swank. Holy, holy smokes. Wow, Mr. Swank himself. He's pretty swanky. Thank you. Sorry about any repeat names there, heroes. We finally figured out the proper way to go through the list of names that we have and thank them. So, if you did hear repeats, that will be the last time. Thanks again to all of our Patreon backers. And with all that out of the way, let's get to the show. All right, heroes, let's meet our party for this week. Uh, first up... It's me, Cat Cool! cool. <laughs> Look at that! Cat, how are you feeling? I'm feeling all right. Uh, it is, we are deep into the night on, uh, technically day two, but really day one of the meat of Metatopia. Mm-hmm. So, uh... Wonderful day, uh, exhausting day. Exhausting day. Mm-hmm. Um, which actually brings us right to our special guest. Cheyenne, well, can you first introduce yourself to the audience? Hi everyone, I'm Cheyenne Wall Grimes. Um, I am half of Glitter Cat's Fine Amusements. Ooh. Oh, what a great company name. I know, isn't it good? It's so much better than just like Glitter Cat's games. <laughs> we are <laughs> fine amusements. Um, we are a small game design company based out of Cleveland and Pittsburgh, respectively. Me from Cleveland, my partner Stentor from Pittsburgh. Um, we've been designing games together for about a year and a half, and we have several games out. And today, we will actually be playing through the first game I've written on my own and the newest game that we've produced called The Fool's Journey. Fool's Journey is a game that we've wanted to feature on One Shot for a while. We picked it up at Gen Con. We've yeah. been excited about it ever since. Fantastic. <laughs> Happy to hear it. The deal with Fool's Journey. I was actually in the shower one day. I was like, man, it'd be really fun to play a storytelling game based on tarot cards and was like, 
does one exist? I don't know. So then I went to the internet and did a whole bunch of research and went, no, there isn't one, so I'm going to write it. Yep. (laughs) So the way that the game works, you break the deck up into having the major arcana cards, you know, zero through um, 2021, and you separate those, and then you separate your four minor arcana decks. The major arcana you will use to make what is called the, the journey track. You start out by placing the full at one end and death at the other end of the journey track, and then we'll go around turn by turn adding random cards into the journey track. We then do a phase where there's a small pool up at the top. Every player gets a turn to be able to take one card out of the journey track that's there and replace it with one that's in the pool. Sure. And then after that, there is a bidding system in which you actually use one of the four suits of the the minor arcana to be able to bid on the cards, to be able to manipulate them into a order that you think would provide the best story. Okay. Throughout the bidding system, every time you bid, you take a D6, and then every time you win a bid, you take a D6, and at the mm-hmm. end of the bidding round, you then roll your dice. Whoever has the highest gets to be the first person to tell their story. There's not exactly a winner in this game. Everybody will get to tell their own story, but you can win the privilege of being the first person to tell your story oh. so nobody steals your story. Oh, cool. Oh. That makes sense. So, And that's the game. That's it. It's not about winning or losing. It's about getting to tell a really cool story. And actually, in our book... I had the privilege of getting a couple of people. I, I put out a, a journey track and then sent it to a few people and had um, Sarah Richardson and Hannah Schaefer actually mm-hmm. write stories that ended up being put in the book that are both just spectacular, really, really good. Aww. So it's really cool to get awesome things like that. So Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's jump right into it. Let's do Fantastic. it. Fantastic. Okay. So right in front of us, like I said, we have The Fool and Death. Well, first off, the cutest tarot deck in the world. So a lot of times when I've been demoing this, when I was demoing it at Gen Con, I just had a traditional Rider weight deck. Right. And um, I actually have, I own a whole bunch of tarot decks. And I have one with me that is called The Happy Tarot, <laughs> which is by a lovely Italian artist. And it is the happiest thing you will ever see. It's very cute. All of the wands are actually Pocky or lollipops. (laughs) Because why not? Yep. So, to begin play, I have shuffled the Major Arcana. And what we will do is we will be placing seven of them in between these two cards. So we will just go around the table and everybody gets to take a turn placing a card. Um, they must be placed in between the full and death at this point in time. Later on, you will be able to manipulate it that you could actually move the full and death into different spots. So it doesn't have to start with the full and end with death every time. Right. right. There's a lot of different stories that you can tell with it. Very so cool. we'll go ahead and start. You got the Empress. The Empress. Yes. Hmm. So at this point, you can kind of put her wherever you you want. She's going to go pretty early on the track to very start. Very good. Very good. I am going to draw. Ooh. Oh, goodness. You have judgment. Oh. Okay. I feel like judgment should go towards the end of the track I, there. I, I usually go that route. Let's see. I have the high priestess. Mm-hmm. We've got a lot of ladies in this game. I'm actually going to put her right before death. Oh, uh-huh. the priestess comes after. I'm already liking this story. <laughs> that would be the sun. The sun. Oh, I know. Look how happy gosh. he is. Darn it! It's so cute. <laughs> He's gonna go right before judgment. Fantastic. Right 
The next up is... The Hierophant. I'm going to put him at the beginning. Oh. Okay. Kind of bookending. Very good. And we get two more turns. The Wheel of Fortune. Oh, snap. There is really? no Pat or Vanna to go with it, but we do have the Wheel of Fortune. I am going to put it dead center. Cool. Just saying. <laughs> I think that's awesome. Traditional then, story structure. Exactly. And this will be the last card to be added, and that is the Lovers. Oh, Uh-oh. boy. So much intrigue in the story. That's going to have to go right here. There we go. Okay, and so what you end up with is you have nine cards in your journey track. It begins with the full and ends with death. And so the next phase of the game is we put a pool of three cards out, and everybody gets a chance to... Is that the tower? No, okay. that is the devil and temperance and the chariot. Okay. Oh, wait. So we will have you go first. Okay. And you may replace any of these cards with what you have in the pool. Okay. So if there's anything that you're not really feeling, you're able to replace it and put something new in and hopefully make a little bit more interesting of a story. Mm-hmm. I am actually going to replace the sun uh-huh. with the devil. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my. We're We're getting heavy now. Okay, and so I would really like... The devil's still real cute, you guys. He he That hasn't stopped. (laughs) It never will. Um, I'm actually going to get rid of the Hierophant and put in the Chariot. And that leaves who? Who are we dealing with? And that leaves the new... The only new card left is Temperance. Right. If you would like to add Temperance. No. Or you can add one of the oh the two that we have moved already right, right. back See into the deck. See if I want the them to go back Absolutely. in. Absolutely, and this will be the last one for that round. Okay, yeah. fantastic. And so we are now actually officially done with the major, major arcana cards. So these are the cards that we are going to have in our story. Now, each of us have one of the decks, the full set, 1 through 14, of the minor arcana. The last four cards are face cards and just literally go 11, 12, 13, 14. Right. For the sake of the game. So what we do now is we will start a bidding round in which people will put a card face down by a card that they wish to try to manipulate. Mm. It then goes to the other two players If you would like to also bid on that card, you put a card face down as well. You are absolutely allowed to keep adding cards to your bid Mm -hmm. as people are beginning to bid, hoping that you can actually win. Right. One of the odd things is that there are four face cards at the very end of the deck. Those are the only cards you can use to actually be able to move the full and death. Oh, okay. You must use one of those cards in your bid to be able to move those. Once they've been manipulated, they're fine to be moved elsewhere with a, with a lesser card. But just for the initial move, if you don't want the story to be about the full potentially dying, right? you can move those cards. Does death in this game have to... Seg- uh, or can it signify a change? Just like any, like, if you've ever had a tarot reading yeah. where they're like, oh, no, the it, cards can it, mean whatever <laughs> comes to you for your fate. Yeah, however you like to read the card. If it's you want to use the literal name of the card in your story, absolutely. If you just want to use something that's in the pictures, that's totally fine. fine. Um, and that's one of the things that I really like about this game you can either know nothing about the tarot or have been studying it for years and know all of the complicated symbols and references that are on it. I've actually played it with a few people that 
are professional tarot readers that come up with ridiculous stories because there's all these things I don't know. Oh, right. All of this info. Yeah. All of this info and be able, and I, I've had to be like, tell me why you put that part in the story because yeah. I don't understand that symbolism. That's and it's, cool. it's been really cool. How it's been interesting. an interesting experience. Oh, and the way that this works, every time you actually bid on a card, you will take one of the D6. We will then go around, continue bidding. Whenever everybody is done, we will flip them all over, add the numbers together. Whoever has the highest number gets to manipulate that card. They also take an additional D6 for winning the bid. Okay. okay. And so that's the way that you'll be able to tell who actually won and gets to tell their story first. Right. So for the sake of things, I will go ahead and start a bid just to help everyone out. And I have put your cards in order, which is super nice. <laughs> um... Oh, goodness, let's... I really like the Wheel of Fortune. Ah. So I'm going to bid on it. Would you like to bid on it as well? I mean, yes, obviously. Go right ahead. (laughs) And I get to pick whatever? You pick whatever card you would like to put down. You are absolutely free to use the face cards, but just remember, if you actually want to manipulate the full and death, you have to use a face card. So there's a little bit of strategy into when you use specific numbers. Of course. You can also go ahead and bid with lower numbers just to get the lower numbers out of your hands. Yep. Separate those so we can call it. No problem. Would you like to bid on the Wheel of Fortune? I will not for right now. Okay. Will absolutely add to my bid. I like that card. Mm. Oh, so do we keep going on one we, card? We keep going on one card until everybody passes, and then whenever that happens, we do the resolution. And I think I am good at this point. Interesting, interesting. I think I'm going to do one more. Oh my goodness! Oh my wow! Okay. We'll see. So both of us take a die because we actually bid on it. Okay. And now, are you done? I'm done. Okay. Let's flip our cards over, and then you add the totals together. So again, if you use any of the face cards, you kind of just have to go with knowing with that the numbers. it's 11, 12, 13, and 14. So right. this is 11 for me plus 8. So I bid 19. Which is more than me. I only bid, what, 12? Oh my goodness. And you bid three cards. Mm-hmm. So these go into a discard pile. They're done. You don't get to use them anymore. And I gain control. I gain a die for winning the bid. And I gain control of the Wheel of Fortune, which I actually kind of like it being at the end of the story. Uh Wow. Because then you, I I like it. So Can we only bid on it once? No. You can keep bidding on it no matter what. Yep, yep. Yep. Here's a question. Absolutely. If I were to bid on something post the Wheel of Fortune, uh, could I then put something right after the Wheel of Fortune? Absolutely. Okay. Cool. Yeah, you can put things in any order. It's whoever actually wins the bid gets to determine where that card gets moved. So the story is going to continue changing throughout the entire bidding process. So you want to be careful also about not overbidding on something because you may blow a whole bunch of higher cards to move a card and then somebody just moves it back. <laughs> right. So there is a tiny bit of strategy to the game. That makes sense. Yep. So we'll start with you bidding on a card. I would love to bid on the devil. The devil. I'm going to bid on the devil as well. I think this should be an all-in <laughs> because the devil is quite a juicy card. It's a good card. Yeah. Not, no card to sneeze at. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put another in for the devil. I am also going to put another in for the devil. Ho-ho. I think I'm going to stand on the devil. You good? What you think? It's a tough one. Look at how happy he is. He's 
Well, he actually he looks, looks very confused. Yeah, <laughs> he is a little concerned. He doesn't know why he's, he's there. He's very cute, though. He's very cute. I think I'm going to stand on the devil as well. Then I will also. So everybody, take a die for actually bidding, mm. and then we will flip our cards over. I only bid three. I only bid three as well. Oh, I bid thirteen. Fantastic! Hey, you win the, that's congratulations. That's some unlucky stuff bidding thirteen <laughs> on the devil. On the on devil. The devil. Let's see. This isn't even a Halloween show. Yeah. So I... Every show is a Halloween show. Halloween creep, <laughs> hashtag Halloween Creep 2K16. I don't even want to place them very far. I just want to move them you right before. You just want to move them a little before bit Before the, the lovers. lovers. Uh-oh. Whoa. Oh, boy. Uh-oh. Oh, my goodness. It's getting real. The story. Oh, man. You know we're building it? <laughs> Running out of cards? <laughs> Things are going crazy. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now it's my turn to initiate a bidding. Yes, please. And, oh man, I like the way that is. Oh, wow, I like where a lot of this stuff is right mm-hmm. now. That's right. Yeah. I'm going to use a major arcana, or do I have to, do I have to announce that when I'm going no, to? You no, you don't no, have no. to announce. Okay. Also, yeah. I'm going to bid on death. Okay. Ooh. There we go. There we go. I am also Absolutely going to bid on death. Will you join us? I will not. Okay. Oh dear. We're looking to tell different kinds of stories. Yes, yeah, we, we are. are. Okay. You know, whatever. I <laughs> sat out that first round. I'm getting crazy. Whoa. Whoa. Oh my goodness. I'm done. Okay. Okay. All right. All good? Flip. Flip. I bid 12 and 14, mm-hmm. so I bid 26. What you what you bid? I, I bid under that. <laughs> yes, you did. Yeah. So Fantastic. I lose death, okay. but I do get a die. Yeah. Fantastic. So I am moving death away from the end of the story, which I the reason I, I put that mechanic in is because I don't want every story to end up the same. It makes sense. Actually, Let's let's shake things up. I'm putting it at the very beginning. Oh my! Whoa! Big shift. Oh man, that changes a lot, you yeah. guys. What a different Big story. Shift. It's a lot of fun. Oh my. Okay, and so I get to start the next bidding round. And let's see. I will bid on the lovers. Go big or go home. Oh snap! Ah, I'll also bid on the lovers. I'm gonna throw down a bid on the lovers. Fantastic! I will up my bid. I will stand. I'm gonna stand as well. Oh goodness! What we got? Six, five. Oh goodness! I totally won. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Fantastic. So I am just going to move it one. Whew, I'm okay with that, but right before the devil. Right before the devil. <laughs> so, we'll just keep switching the Mac. We'll just keep switching the devil. That's where lovers lead, you guys. The devil? The devil. Oh, my goodness. Okay, it is your turn to begin the bidding. Okay, I'm going to start bidding. Judgment. Very good choice. Okay, I'm going to throw a bid in on judgment. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I will as well. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to up the ante on judgment Oh, here. boy. I'm going to go in as well. I can't not. Whoa. Holy smokes. I'm standing. I can't anymore. What do you think? Do I think I beat you guys? I'm, I'm going to win one of these. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to hold. 
I'm good. Right. Okay. Let's see what we got. So I think that's 21, maybe? Is it? Is it? No, 20. 20. Yeah? Huh? Is that she the... She would 13? be 13. So 22. 22. That beats me. No, wow. wait, that does not. I can't do math. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you win this time, buddy. I win this time. <laughs> Yay! Yay! Fantastic. So for judgment, I actually like judgment right where it is. Okay. Really? Right after the judge, the you devil, just wanted you get to judged. Keep, you just wanted to make sure it stayed. Yes. You didn't want anything to move. Absolutely a good strategy to play in the game. Okay. And so who started that bit? I did. You did. So it is your turn to okay. begin the bidding. Let's see. And I will say the one thing I did not mention, we will continue bidding until one person runs out of cards. Whoever the first is to run out of cards ends the bidding phase. Good to oh. know. I have no so idea. So I, I only have four cards left. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So. Interesting. Just letting you know. I'm going to bid on the chariot. Very good. I guess I should put that bid down. I will also bid on the chariot. You want it on this chariot? Nah, I'm good. Okay. You want to up it? Yeah. I do. I yes. will as well. Okay. Uh, you gonna up it again? What you doing? Not many cards left. She doesn't have many left either. Mm-mm. I want this. <laughs> huh. I'm looking at the dice. I'm losing the dice game. <laughs> I'm gonna make you work for it. Wow. She plays that last card. We're done. I'm no stranger to hard work. Whoa. <laughs> Holy smokes. Bam. Oh! oh! Well, I lost out. What a fool I was. <laughs> what a fortune <laughs> <What> fool. A- <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. So I bid. Oh. I bid 27. So this is 17 and higher than that. You got it. Cool. You won that bid. I believe the chariot goes right after death. Oh, oh, goodness. I like it. So, now we have manipulated the journey track as much as we will because I have officially run out of cards. Mm-hmm. And now everybody will take their dice pool. And this is one of the most satisfying things of this game is to be able to take a handful of D6 mm-hmm. and roll them and, and roll get a good them. number. 22. Not very good roll. Got mostly threes. Hey, 24. Mm. I... Got 36. Whoa! <laughs> yes! <laughs> Fantastic. So yeah, that's one of the good things about actually bidding and winning a whole bunch yep. is being able to finally get to tell your story. So just to let everyone at home know, we have in this order, we have Death, the Chariot, the Fool, the High Priestess, the Lovers, the Devil, Judgment. Empress um, High Priestess. Empress High Priestess. Thank you very much. And then the Wheel of Fortune all the way at the end. Mm-hmm. So with this game, you can use whatever in the cards that you would like to to be able to tell your story. I have seen noir stories come out of it. Oh, I have seen um, Cthulhu stories come out of it. With with this deck, in fact. A Cthulhu of story course. came out of the happy deck, which was great. Oh, that's good. So I believe that one day death grew weary of having to travel to Earth on his own, and so he he called the service and got the chariot to come and pick him up. Said, you know, I the driver was talking to him along the way, saying, you know, what are you going to Earth for this time, Death? And Death says, I got this fool, and I got to take him out. He's <laughs> got to go today. There's there's no holding back. I've tried to kill this kid before. I got to do it. And so Death makes his way to Earth. And when he's there, he sees the fool happily just trolling down the road on his way to go see the empress, who is, in fact, his lover. 
Mm-hmm. And so Death knows that he's in for a bad time because he's about to kill a kid who's in love, who's in love with a very lovely lady. And he feels slightly bad and he goes, you know what? I don't want to do this today. And he calls up his good friend, the devil. He Uh says, hey, I got a job for you. The devil says, what's in it for me? He's like, well, you know how you've always hated being down in hell (laughs) and would like maybe your judgment to be overturned about that? I could put in a good word for you. Oh, snap. If you will snuff out the fool for me. And the devil goes, you know what? I'll do it. I'll, I'll take this. And so he goes to earth and he meets the fool and they end up striking up a friendship, oddly enough. And in that time, they go out drinking at a pub because that's what you do with the devil when he comes to earth. Mm-hmm. And while they were there, he met the lovely high priestess who said, devil, if you will give up your ways and not kill the fool for death, then I will make sure that your luck turns around and can potentially get you out of hell for the rest of your life. And the devil decides to take her up on it. Hmm. That is my story. Uh, so You're next, it is kiddo. Me next. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to try and take this a little abstract. Millions of years into the future, uh, the earth that has served as home for humanity for eons and eons slowly has become unhabitable uh, for all creatures, uh, thanks to man's hubris, and uh, it slowly starts to crumble up and go away. It is It is our last-ditch effort, not only for our species to survive, but the only living things that we have found in the universe to survive. We must go and find a new home. And to do that, uh, we take the sun, which was once a beautiful, prosperous thing that lit our solar system, and we have made it an engine. Uh, now, rather than having the sun be out in the sky above all things, we have brought it into the center of a massive spaceship. It is the core of all things. And we have called this the chariot. The chariot has charted across the universe, searching for a new home for humanity uh, and, of course, all the creatures that called Earth its home. Unfortunately, the captain of this ship uh, is not the cleverest man. Uh, he is simply the person who was trained to fly the ship. Uh, humans have to rotate having one person pilot it uh, for a stint of 10 years uh, alone by themselves, only speaking to AI. This man is the fool. The fool really does not spend his time searching in the proper way. He instead uh, spends his time visiting the person who is next in line. A beautiful young woman who he knew before everyone had to freeze. Uh, he fumbles with a ring that is around his neck and a chain. And he was going to ask her to marry him right before these terrible things on Earth became so dire and everyone had to be frozen. He leaves the ring on her, like, frozen chamber. And to him, that symbolizes his question and his commitment. However, this being a large spanning spaceship and us having a an AI controlling everything, there is an AI that has spun off its own personality. 
and this is the devil. The devil comes to the fool and says, all you need do is change the date in the computer, and she will wake up early, and you can live happily together. The fool, being lovelorn and desirous of human contact, as all people who served as the pilot and captain needed, decided to change the date. That caused a massive problem with the ship. People all over started waking up as well, and there came a massive judgment. The fool was put on trial, and he was brought before all humanity. The last person uh, to hold any position of authority presided over this massive trial, held him before all of humanity, held him accountable for his actions, uh, and said this, We wish to survive. But there is no survival with by denying ourselves and by separating our society and forcing each other to live alone. We have become something other than a living thing. For that, we must not find the home that we once knew, but build a new one here. And so the ship stopped in the middle of space and humanity lived out the rest of its days. They were short, supplies depleted. But in that time, uh, they lived as people. Now that circular system with the sun at the core spins on eternally. Okay. Mm -hmm. That was lovely. <laughs> uh, once upon a time, there was an animated skeleton <laughs> <laughs> who lived in a lich's castle. Uh, the castle was made of stone, and the skeleton man was very sad because... He did not like stone. He loved flowers. And he wanted nothing so much as to care for flowers and to create, ideally, through flower breeding, the most beautiful, perfect flower in the world. But he was so concerned for the safety of flowers that he dared not, and, and living things in general, that he dared not tread upon the grass in the garden to go out and interact with the flowers. So... His lord was a pretty du cool dude. He was like, Skelebro, I notice you are very sad. Why are you so sad all the time? And Skelebro was like, My lord, I just, I'd really like to take care of flowers, but I can't leave this castle and your services without harming them, and I'd feel bad because you're so nice to me. <laughs> and the Lich King was like, well, you know what, Skelebro? I have a flying broom through which you do not have to tread upon the grass. And because of your many years of friendship, I will give it to you gratis. You are freed from my service. Please, please, go show the world your flower-breeding talent. So Skelebro hopped upon his flying chariot and set off on a grand quest. Uh, in his land, there are a few different seers who have powers of uh, precognizance and various things. Um, one of which is, um, let's see, his name is Murdermancy. The Murdermancy. What an unfortunate name. <laughs> the Magic Man. Okay. No, Murter with a T. Murter, okay. M-E-R-T-E-R, -E Mancy. The magic man. Um, so, uh, but that, but that guy is notoriously flaky 
Uh, he's not often in his glen. Um, so instead, Skelebro was headed to Floritia, mm. the flower woman of the forest. That's a good place to go. Yeah, you know, it, it seemed like a good idea, but, uh, bam, right in the middle of his past, poof, kapow, glitter, murder Mancy. Myrtle Mancy? What was that guy's name? Uh, Murter. Murter, the magic man, a muffiny individual in a green little gherkin with a silly little cap and a feather in. And he was like, hello, Skelebro. What are you doing? And Skelebro was like, I really want to make the best flower in the world. It's all I want to do, Mr. Murder Mancy. And Murder Mancy was like, I am just the thing. And he turned Skelebro into the most perfect flower. Whoa. Wow. He did plant him in Floritia's garden, but he was there being this flower and he couldn't do anything. And on the one hand, he appreciated it, but on the other hand, it made him pretty sad. Mm-hmm. Um, also, after, as time went on, uh, and Floritia went around not touching the ground, floating slightly above it, and watering the many flowers of the glen, he fell desperately in love with her. But uh, And she, in turn, fell for him, him being a beautiful flower. Of course. The most beautiful flower that she'd ever seen. Uh, but uh, he couldn't do anything, and he was very, very sad for a long time. Meanwhile, little did he know that another skeleton from a different Lich Kingdom, Mm. had gone on a very similar quest and was currently a different flower in the same garden. (laughs) Wait a minute. Is this flower also perfect or just pretty good? He was perfect until Skelebro showed up. Whoa. Whoa. Right? They grew side by side. Okay, wait. I got to know. Floritia, how'd she feel about the other flower before Skelebro showed up? She loves flowers. She loves all flowers. She loves all flowers. Okay. But she does seem to like Skelebro the best. Okay. Okay? Okay. Oh, oh my. Let's let's keep our emotions in check. It's a very deep story. (laughs) Okay. So this other skeleton, Mm -hmm. Skelejo, (laughs) he, while all of the other flowers were sleeping, was like, Myrtle Myrtle Please show your Myrtle face. And Myrtle Nancy popped up in his pow, kapow, smoke, glitter. Skelejo, what is it that you desire? And Skelejo was like, well, he couldn't say anything, really. Because <laughs> um, he was speaking in the f- language of flowers, and Myrtle Nancy didn't understand that. So Myrtle Nancy turned himself into a flower and then was like, What's That's the solution for What's everything. Up? He Clearly. turned himself into a flower so that they could converse. <laughs> and Skelejo... Uh, asked to be a superior flower to Skelebro. Mm-hmm. And the wish was granted. Skelebro watched all of this happen in very sad silence. Mm-hmm. Uh, he knew that despite Skelejo's beauty, that uh, he had a better root structure rooted in the ground. And if he wanted to, he could choke the life out of Skelejo. Oh, my. Because flowers are very vicious. All Well, not flowers, but plants in general are very vicious creatures. Um, And he looked around and watched the the carnage taking place and all of the little murderings happening. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I could do it. I could do it. 
and Florizio would love me forever. And while that might not be a perfect ending, because I wanted to admire the beauty of flowers uh, and take care of them, I would certainly be happy. But alas, I cannot because that would be harming another living thing. Nay, a flower, the thing that I love most. At which point, poof, Florizia appeared. She was like, Skelebro, I've known the whole time because Murder Mancy and I are good friends and we do this to people who love flowers. So I was testing you to see if truly you loved flowers, and you too! Congratulations, most do not, as you can see this is a very vicious place. Um, so I will return you to a skeleton and imbue you with science. The ability (laughs) to create flowers as beautiful as you desire. So she poofed him back, and uh, Skelebro, now confused about having ever liked her, but confident about this flower plan, was like, Well, okay, I guess thank you. I wish I didn't have to go through this, but I understand. Uh, Thank you for deeming me worthy of uh, passing through your glen and your tutelage. And he went on to create the most beautiful, beautiful, perfect flowers in the land, which everybody loved. Um, and they planted in their gardens, and uh, over time, their economy became based on these flowers mm-hmm. and the trading, but then it choked all the soil, mm-hmm. and uh, at the turn of the fortune card, because we've been building a guy up, so he must fall, <laughs> Holland <laughs> toppled to tulips. <laughs> the end. So wait, Holland... Holland is full of skeleton people? Uh, the fictional Holland, yes. Okay. And they're disguised as flowers. Holland, land. So yeah. all the flowers are skeletons. They're mostly skeletons. Okay. Yeah. There might be um, other undead lich friends. I think they should really start using this in their marketing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just be a lich's friend for a long time and he'll hook you up. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very good. Thank so you. that's full journey. Yeah, there we go. What a fun game. Yeah, it's awesome to be able to get a whole bunch of different stories out of it and be as creative as you want and have a good time. Yeah, yeah. what a blast. Thank you. Cool. Thank you so much for playing. With Absolutely. Us. Glad this to be great. here. And that's all the actual play we have for you this week. Coming up next is my interview with Tanya DePass. Now, as I mentioned before, she is trying to transition into I Need Diverse Games full-time. If you would like to help her out with that effort, be sure to follow the link in our show notes to her Patreon page. Any support to her will help the I Need Diverse Games movement. And now, my interview with Tanya DePass. All right, heroes, this week I'm going to be speaking to Tanya DePass. You might recognize her from a bunch of different places. I think the most prominent place that I have seen her is from the I Need Diverse Games hashtag, or INDG, and of course the Fresh Out of Tokens podcast, which covers a variety of gaming subjects. Tanya, thank you so much for joining me. You're very, very welcome. I'm glad to be here. So the way I usually start off by talking to all of my guests is I ask them how they got into gaming. Uh, so where did that journey start with you? Actually, first edition D&D. Whoa! How old were you when you started playing first edition? Oh, God. Um, probably in early teens, late, like early to mid-teens. So were you in high school yet, or was it like in middle school? I want to say high school, because even though it was out, I didn't get a chance to really get into gaming with friends. So I was like, you know, freshman in high school, eighth grade. 
can you remember your first gaming experience or is it like kind of a reach? See, that was a long time ago. (laughs) Uh, I mean, it's a vague recollection of Mm -hmm. like a bunch of us nerdy friends getting together and going, oh, cool, we have this game. And of course, my mom going, that's the devil. Don't play it. (laughs) Really? Oh, yeah. So for those people listening, um, my mom is very much a dyed-in-the-wool Catholic, you know, Vatican one. Wow. Okay. So So, Latin masses. Yep. Does she... Still find Latin masses today? Or is I that- don't think so. She, she's um older and doesn't get out much, but you know she pretty much grew up Catholic school all the way through college. Was very much I've seen about this game on the news, so I had to kind of sneak and go play D and D. I think you are the first person that I've spoken to that was directly affected by the Satanic Panic. Yeah, that's a crazy bit of history. But so, and obviously, it was something that you were passionate about because. Mm-hmm. Not only did you endure having to play D&D in secret, but uh, you're still in gaming today yep. in a bunch of different capacities. Yes. Uh, so what what is it that uh, draws you in about our hobby? Um, well, when it comes to tabletop, it's getting to use my imagination. Mm-hmm. You know, I've always liked writing. I've always liked stories. You know, tabletop gives you such a wide open range to tell stories. And with video games, is someone else's sandbox, but, you know, I still gravitate toward RPGs. There's a chance to have that immersion, even though someone else has kind of given you the script. You know, and on occasion, I like to fire up COD and still shoot everything. So... <laughs> It's more than a hobby. It's more than just an enthusiast thing for me. Video games have not literally saved my life, but they, they've been there when I've needed a lot of help or, you know, it's helped me grow closer to friends or even make a lot of friends that I still have today. Well, I can absolutely relate to that. I know I have my best friend in the world uh, because of gaming. Uh, it's definitely there, – there's something really primal, especially about the tabletop, uh, where you get to create a world with another person that allows you to, I think, put more of yourself out there than you'd be willing to do in just regular conversation. Mm-hmm. So now that we have that on the table, uh, the thing I want to get dig into is I need diverse games. And I want to talk about, uh, first of all, the history of it. How did it come about? Because this is a hashtag that I know a lot of my audience has been using, but mm-hmm. they probably do not know that you started it. <laughs> um, so over a year ago, I was literally angry about video games around six in the morning. As, as we have often been. <laughs> and the whole Ubisoft thing about not being able to animate women was making the rounds again. And there was just a lot of things going on in gaming, obviously, you know, the unsavory element that is still clinging to this day. And I just started using the hashtag on tweets about, you know, not being able to animate women, tired of the same scruffy, brown-haired, blue-eyed protagonist dude. And one of my friends, Carnethia Mickey Kendall, who has, you know, over 30,000 followers, now nearly 40, started using it. And mm-hmm. when someone who has that many followers tweets you... <laughs> It picks up steam. Yeah. And that was like six in the morning. By the time I got to work, she called me and it's like, I don't care what you're doing. Go get a bunch of block bots. Your, your tag is trending. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> so I guess that's a thing. And you know, and it, it stayed trending for a couple days and I just said, Hey, do people want a blog? Do they want its own Twitter account? And I got a yes, a very resounding yes. Started up a Tumblr for it and somehow got picked up by Tumblr Spotlight and now we have over 7,000 followers. That's so great. It's rare that you see that for something that like you want to see more of, I think. Yeah. So it was, it was kind of a shock. So I got the email. It's like, Hey, you're trending on Tumblr. And I was like, Oh my God, what did I do? <laughs> 
but it, it worked out well. You know, we've, we've got a great community going and the conversation is clearly needed because if it wasn't, the hashtag would have just fizzled out and I wouldn't be here with you. Right, right, right. It, it, the question I have. So were you angling around the game industry before this or was this sort of something that like when it happened, you realized, Oh, there needs to be a voice in this space. It might as well be my voice driving the conversation. Well, I've always been a gamer, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't really actively in the industry or seeking to get in the industry. I'd gone to GDC in 2014 with a friend who actually was looking to get in the industry. And unfortunately, because of the things going on in the climate, she, she made that decision not to pursue it, which is, is very sad. But I was also lucky enough to see Monver Air's speech at GDC about racism, sexism, homophobia, et cetera. And I'm not a big public crier. I actually was like, kind of crying by the end of his talk because it was just so moving. And it was just like, you know, here's a dude who's in the industry, who's a person of color, who's mm-hmm. saying a lot of the things that I've always felt, but I never really thought of in that sense. Cause I'm like, I can't program. I can kind of sort of, I barely know how to use twine at this moment. Right. So I never thought of myself as someone in the industry. And then I slowly realized, well, the conversation clearly needs to happen because people are picking up on it. They're talking about it. So someone, you know, needs to have the conversation and lead the conversation. And not like I'm the first person to ever discuss this. Right, right, right. But it's just worked out where it's not stopped and people want to keep talking about the need for diversity and actual diversity, not just, oh, we've got, you know, four different hair colors on the same white woman model. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, and and the one burly black dude who gets killed halfway through the game. We're talking about actual diversity with fully fleshed out characters and, you know, characters that they just happen to be brown or they happen to be queer. It's, it's not the focus of their character. And I, I kind of want to dig into uh, talks about that diversity because I know that a lot of gamers, when you bring up subjects like that, their f- immediate response is to get defensive without thinking about it and really digging into exactly what people are asking for when they go, no, I would like to see a more diverse game because I I, I think whatever the reason is, when you try to go, hey, let's welcome more people in, everybody looks around and goes, well, don't take away from me what I already own. So I I really want to define what diversity is so that we can make it less of a boogeyman. Well, you know, diversity is having a setting, especially when you're talking about RPG, that reflects the diversity in the world around you. Because I'm sure that You know, we both know people who have been in RPGs, they've been into tabletop or even um, video games where the setting doesn't allow for them to exist. Mm -hmm. The great thing about tabletop is there's no real reason for it not to be diverse. And the setting may be, you know, not in Europe. It could be a fantasy land. But when you go to game stores, there's not a lot of people who look like me. Right. I was on a panel at Wizard World and someone asked about the diversity issue in tabletop. I was like, I don't go to shops. I don't really game with other people unless it's online with people I know and is safe because there's been too much of a pushback of this is our hobby. You don't belong here. Right. And in some ways I've, I've seen it. Okay. It has been worse sometimes in tabletop. Um, but there are people like Quinn Murphy and Chris Chin who are actually intentionally making those changes. Mm-hmm. But diversity isn't about forcing you to, you know, play a queer black trans 
character and that's all you get and it's no one's forcing you to do this but it's having empathy realizing someone besides you exists in the world because if i get to exist in that fantasy world you can exist in the fantasy world we can coexist but it doesn't mean that i should always be the cannon fodder or i should have to be stuck with an archetype of a certain character as brown person as a queer person whatever so diversity means reflecting the world that we actually live in you know in our gaming because there's no especially in tabletop there's no sense in not having that right and i think even going beyond that it's not becoming complacent with the roles that we do see in the world that we live in because it's not simply that you have the city of chicago 30 percent of people in the city of chicago are black 30 percent of the people in chicago are white Mm -hmm. and if you can realistically live in a neighborhood and not see a black person or go in another neighborhood and not see a white person because it's one of the most segregated cities in the country uh, and in gaming, it seems the only times certain people want to reflect the reality of the world that we exist in is when it's something negative, like, oh, well, women weren't in power then, so we can't have you be a knight or a barbarian. You can be a prostitute if you'd like. And it boggles my mind that it's a radical decision all of a sudden to change the world when you're developing a fantasy for the better, but it's normal to reinforce the same awful stereotypes that we have to deal with in our everyday lives. Yeah, I mean, women were more than just, you know, mothers and prostitutes and midwives in medieval times. I mean, there's just so much historical evidence to that, especially, you know, the one thing that always rubs me the wrong way is historical accuracy being given <laughs> as, as an excuse. Oh, it's not a reason. oh yeah. <laughs> That's why I love medieval POC who debunks all this through art history and other people who go, no, there were black folks all over. There were brown folks all over. There were women knights. There were women pirates. There are women Vikings. Yeah. That, that's, we're having very compelling evidence that 50% of the Viking warriors were women. Yeah. So this whole, oh, women weren't warriors. Look at this. And it's like, eh, no, actually, you should go find a history book. I think the thing, like just breaching the surface, when you say diversity, it is other people being able to see themselves in roles that I think uh, folks with privilege like me, who are white, who are male, who are straight, They get to see that reflected in gaming all the time because when you look at the pictures of gaming books, I would say up to even 10 years ago, all the pictures of heroes are like look exactly like me except buffer with less clothing on. True. (laughs) That was like the raw barbarian dude. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Or the Viking dude. Or the Viking dude. You know, we, we get to choose. Yeah. So you can be a Viking or a barbarian. Mm-hmm. That's accurate because, I mean, you know, kudos to Paizo for what they do. Yeah, absolutely. Because with tabletop, you're using your imagination. The books are a guide. It's nice to have, but it's nice to see that in those books. You know, if I pick up a book from Paizo versus like third edition D&D, I'm going to see someone who might actually look like me mm-hmm. and feel like, hey, I can belong in this fantasy world too. And I think that's what a lot of people resist is if there are more people like you, there's less space for me, which isn't the truth. 
It's not a zero sum game. Right. One of the things that I like about this, you're, you're bringing up Paizo, which right now is the second biggest company in role playing. They were up until fifth edition. And now the fifth edition's out. Uh, they're the Wizards of the Coast is back on top as far as tabletop role playing. And they also made an effort to diversify their fantasy setting. But now we see that two of the top selling role playing products ever are more diverse. And these are products that people are raving about and loving. I know when I came off of 3.5 and went into Paizo, I was like, this is great uh, because it's continuing the thing that I love. But I did not think it would maintain the amount of momentum that it did. And I guess the point that I'm making here is that including this diversity hasn't made these products less approachable. And I think that was the most resounding bit of pushback I ever get when I go. Uh, I feel like uh, this I need diverse games hashtag has a good point is that go, well, no, you're going to take away from the primary market and it's going to cause these companies to go out of business. That's clearly not true. We, we've seen that time and time again. Uh, the most successful fr- fantasy franchises out there have a hell of a lot of diversity. And I think it's richer for it. Oh, yeah. I mean, people who don't want diversity don't like money. <laughs> um, you know, I, kn- I know it's a video game example, but like Mafia, the Mafia series, played it, wasn't real into it. Right. The third game has a black protagonist. It's set in Louisiana in 1968. I'm going to break my pre-order rule and get this game. <laughs> because, hey, they took that chance. You know, there's that fallacy that oh, games with women, with people of color don't sell. That's such bull. It's just utter bull. And I, I think someone who's fighting against diversity with that as their line just doesn't like money. Yeah, it, 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 it's clearly at a point where you can look at the numbers and that doesn't make sense. And the only reason that I can distill it down to is fear. And I think it's a fear of nothing. Um, I, I really want to talk about the uh, work or uh, at least discussions that you've been having uh, with Emily Care Boss, who's somebody who's been featured on One Shot before, uh, a great, talented designer about bringing the I Need Diverse Games uh, hashtag and idea and discussion into tabletop. Uh, so how, first of all, how did that come about? Well, Emily and I have been kind of tweeting back and forth and chatting and everything. And she was like, you know, you have that Diversify streaming list. I want to do something similar for tabletop. And so we came up with Diversify Tabletop mm-hmm. and um, created a similar listing on her site where people could just go, I'm a designer, I'm a player, I want other people to play with, or I want to make a game that's more diverse. You know, this is a director of people who believe in this mission. And it got a great response on Twitter, and I kind of, you know, reminded people about it today of, this is still here. Right. You know, the initial boost was great, but we still need to keep doing this. We can't just go, okay, for this month, we're going to pay attention to diversity and not really do anything else. Right. This is ongoing because diversity isn't something you, you know, I can wave your pom-poms at for one week out of the year, one month out of the year and go, oh, for Black History Month, we're going to focus these characters and then just kind of forget about it. Right. This is – there are people making these games who want to be out there. There are people of color making these games or women making these games who either don't feel welcome or they don't feel like they can – find a market for it, and we want to debunk that, you know, because obviously if there's a game, there's a tabletop game with with women and kick-ass people of color, I'm going to give you my money. (laughs) So the initiative's out there. We're hoping to, you know, keep people interested in it. So anyone listening, I'll make sure that you get a a link for that. 
And, you know, if you know people who want to get in a tabletop and that's kind of their stopping point. Which, yeah, I, I absolutely know those people. Yeah. Um, there, there are plenty of people, uh, who I have asked to be on one shot and gone like, well, call me when you, you get a game that is designed by a woman or a person of color and I'll come on for that episode. It's just because she was sick of having to, the caveat to do anything in any industry is that she had to work on something that was benefiting someone who was nothing like her because she has to make that compromise all the time. Right. So it's great to have a resource out there where people have collected. No, these are the games that are done by a diverse cast of creators. And these are people who want to be resources to a diverse cast of creators. And I, with that, I really want to talk about uh, how tabletop and getting involved in tabletop design and that industry is a lot different uh, than video gaming in that you mentioned uh, being in the crowd for that speech and feeling still like, ah, oh, this is really resonating with me, but I'm not in it. And one of the ideas that we really like to push here on one shot that as far as I know comes from the folks at Double Exposure, it's that if you have thought of a rule, you are a game designer. If you have written a rule down, you are a game writer. And if you have put that rule anywhere that other people can see it, you have published a game. Because Tabletop is like a small community, it's a community where the bulk of people playing these games are gravitating towards message boards, towards Twitter, towards Google+. It's a place you are very close to what the industry is. You can probably go online and have a conversation with anybody who's designed one of your favorite games uh, right now. Because it's so close and so easy to get into, there are a lot fewer barriers to people who want to make new games and who want to be part of the I Need Diverse Games movement simply by contributing their ideas and their efforts. You have made this even easier by collecting everybody and putting these resources in one space. Have you, has anybody stood out to you who, you know, involved themselves in this process sort of early on and now we're starting to see games from them? Um, well, Quinn was already making games. So Quinn Murphy mm-hmm. um, is already making games and his Patreon, um, he's doing a per game thing. And so, um, Five Fires is out there. It's based on 80s hip hop. And I think he just released a new one called Emperor. So he's really been out there and he's like, follow him on Twitter. Oh yeah. Quinn is, Quinn is wonderful. Everybody should follow Quinn on Twitter. Yes. But Quinn was one of those people that I, like, I knew him from other avenues, but he, he has such good insights on not just design, not just, um, the importance of diversity in games, but, you know, his ideas are just out there because I would have never thought about an 80s hip hop game. Yeah. Quinn is one of those genius level designers. And uh, I'm happy to say that I feel like there are a lot of genius level designers out there. But Quinn is not only a great designer, but he's a really singular and strong voice in the community mm-hmm. who's dedicated to making it larger and more than what it is right now. And I'm um, trying to think of anyone else. I mean, obviously, we know Emily. Mm-hmm. Just Caprice at Paizo. I love following her Tumblr because she just, you know, she says what she's going to say. I'm trying to think of anyone else because, you know, this is sad to say, but other than Quinn, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head that I follow and interact with that I know is like putting games out. I know, um, well, the other person is Chris Chin and he's putting together his own campaigns and running kind of like one to three shot. And it's all stuff where he's taken like Star Wars, but put a twist on it to give it more of like a, you know, an historically accurate 
<laughs> um, you know, like with Chinese mythology or other mythologies, like he's actually taking that historical context and bring it into the game and giving it to us as players. Oh, that so that's neat. Is is it, it's still being run in the Star Wars universe, or is it a Star Wars like product incorporating more mythology from other sources? Star Wars like product? And there's something he's just done whole cloth. He's like, here's the system I thought up. You know, let's run it one or one to four times and see how you guys like it. Mm-hmm. And you know, I've been in games that he's run, and it's just like. It's it's invigorating one because hey it's a bunch of brown folks playing online, <laughs> um, and there's that safety involved. But there's also just like there's knowledge that he has as a GM that really enhances it for me. Absolutely, I mean that, that's one of the things uh, playing with a designer who's here in Chicago, uh, Alan Turner, who did Edragor, mm-hmm. which is this wonderful. I, I don't want to say fate hack. It's a fate core system uh that draws on native mythologies and not not really just native mythologies but it's mythologies specifically of people that you don't see in history books a lot it's a lot of uh north american native mythologies there's aboriginal uh from australia there's even uh celtic mythology uh for, we all know the Celts did not get uh, the right end of the stick in history. Uh, and it was cool to see a bunch of different storytelling traditions and ideas come together in a D&D like format, uh, because when you look at D&D, there are a plethora of different fantasy role playing systems, but they're all pretty much the same. Like they're all drawing on that Tolkien or that Norse mythology and here is a game that is doing a very similar project in bringing together a bunch of different storytelling traditions and ideas, but they're different ideas. And it's like something you've never seen before. Yeah, because I could probably go the rest of my life without a game set in medieval England <laughs> or Europe or, you know, make it historically accurate and have actual people of color as, as warriors and knights and things like that. So I think that's where people get stuck. Mm-hmm. They go, well, D&D is fantasy. It's high fantasy or a system like D&D is fantasy. Therefore, you must have XYZ archetypes. Right. And there isn't a room for anything else, which isn't true. You know, that to me, that's that's a lack of imagination when you can't expand an existing realm or even a system you've come up with to go beyond the usual archetypes we grew up with. It, it's it's amazing to see people put themselves in those boxes when you are playing these systems really to be in control of a world and mm-hmm. not be limited by things. But uh, it's, as soon as you suggest something new and something different, it's immediately wanting to cling to the familiar ideas that are set in your head as a rule for no reason other than nostalgia. Yeah, there's a lot I could do without in terms of nostalgia, like if I never see a drow again. <laughs> <laughs> so... I mean, nostalgia is all well and good and it has its place, but, you know, especially if you're running a game, if you're, if you're creating a character, if you want to create a new class, there's nothing really stopping you unless the GM has a very set idea mm-hmm. of this is the game, this is the world, and you can't do this for game plot reason. Right. Versus no, we just can't do it. I think I am seeing a lot more bold choices at tables where we're playing games that are less restrictive too. I, I know the real tradition with this like started with GURPS where the idea was here's a book that's going to allow you to do any idea that you have. And now we're seeing it in an even more approachable format with uh, games like Fate or uh, Apocalypse World where 
the core is something that you can really build any idea off of. And we're seeing dozens of uh, really diverse worlds pop out of that. We're also still rehashing our nostalgia in a lot of different ways, too. But it's created space where people have a simpler set of tools to work with in order to, you know, bring themselves and their voices into the conversation. Oh, definitely. I mean, I would love to go back and play some old-fashioned D&D, but... Hey, maybe we have a race in a class that isn't part of the standard rule book. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's like that's definitely the appeal of Paizo. <laughs> oh yeah, I I I was lucky enough to get a chance to meet Jessica Price when I was in Seattle, and it's good to know there are people out there fighting for diversity, but we shouldn't have to fight for it. Right. I shouldn't have to feel like I can't go to a tournament or a game store and feel like I'm the only one there. And, you know, that's why I'm glad why, like, you're doing this and Paizo's doing the work they do and Emily Carabas and other folks. But there has to be more than a few people doing the heavy lifting. And speaking of that, you know, I, I'm sure at my level or, or Emily Carabas's level where we're media creators, we're, we're game creators, or Quinn Murphy's level where we are media machines in our own right and are incredibly prolific in everything we do. Sure, we, we can talk about these things. Uh, but if I'm somebody sitting at home who is listening right now going, well, I know like I control these spaces because I am of the privileged class or race or whatever. How do we go about making these spaces more open and accepting to people? Because I know a lot of white folks, when you bring up the idea of white privilege to them, like if they're not the sort of person to immediately shrug it off, uh, we're put in a position where we go, Oh goodness, I, I don't know what to do. Uh, cause it's, you know, taking on, it's taking on institutionalized racism or classism or what have you. There are so, so many people who want to welcome people into these spaces. So how, what's the best way to start? You know, one is recognizing that you have this privilege and not kind of going from zero to a 100 <laughs> of, I've got privilege now I have to fix all the world's ills because <laughs> I've seen this happen. I, I liken it to becoming a zealot where suddenly you go, oh my God, I have all this privilege and I have, you know, this platform and I have to fix it and I have to do all this stuff. No, you don't. Small steps. <laughs> um, you know, realize that you have this privilege. Start with small things like correct your friends if they make inappropriate jokes or if they're running a campaign and they want to do something that really isn't okay or make a character that's really kind of a character go, you know, that's, that's not really okay. Right. And build from that, you know, and if you just, and if you're a game maker, talk to someone when you're making your game, you know, if you go, well, I want to base this game in Africa or outside of Europe, do some basic research. <laughs> now granted, you may not be able to call up someone who, who is knowledgeable about all of African history. If you want to, be accurate or at least not misrepresent it, but Google is there. You mm -hmm. know, do some basic work before you go out and try to, you know, get someone to do the lifting for you or, you know, go up to a certain point and go, okay, I've, I've created this world. I need someone to look it over. Right. Because I can guarantee you taking the time to have someone look over what you've done versus making a game, putting it out in the world and then having people go, you know, that, that's not, that, mm -mm. It's a funny thing when we don't actually research, uh, things that really happened, uh, we end up falling back on stereotypes and tropes, which are often, 
against the spirit of what you're trying to accomplish if you're going out of your way to make a game about a people that is not your people. Yes. Um, so there's resources you can get. And granted, this applies more to SF writing. Mm-hmm. But writing the other by Nisi Shaw and Octavia Butler is amazing. Use Google. <laughs> Use scholarly Google if possible. Because, you know, you can Google anything. That doesn't mean it's accurate. Right. And don't wait until you're at the point of running your game. Start from zero. Um, think about the peop- think about the imaginary person who may pick up this game in a store one day. And if they see this archetype or the stereotype, how offended and how hurt they'll be because seeing yourself represented but done poorly does more damage right. than not getting to exist at all. Like I'd rather almost not be in that fantasy setting if you can't be bothered to do the work and do it right. I, I, I think that is a salient point. I can only imagine the horror of having to live in a world that for most of the time does not want you in the conversation. And then when they finally bring you in, you are made to be in a role that is not comfortable. Uh, that's, that's insanity. <laughs> it is. Um, and that's the unfortunate part of it is that, you know, if you wind up being the one black friend TM, um, <laughs> It's true. Yeah. <laughs> or, or you become that person on Twitter that everyone runs to when they have a question. For those listening, remember that, you know, minorities are not a monolith. <laughs> Be that any minority or marginalized identity. And my experiences as an older queer black woman are not going to match a 20 something, you know, black dude or, or queer woman or younger person. So get a variety of experiences, especially if you're trying to appeal to people who, you know, maybe I just want to play a character that, you know, goes and hacks everything up. Uh, you don't have to make race or marginalized identity the focus of the character because that's another issue that comes up. It's like, well, I have this tragic backstory because I'm black or I'm I'm not the majority in this setting mm-hmm. or, you know, my character's gay. So they have this angst and ennui going on because, <laughs> oh, my God, I'm gay in this setting. That cannot be the focus of your character because there's a word called intersectionality where all these parts of a person combine to make the person. Mm-hmm. Um, so think about that. Realize that these things exist and the parts of a person, no matter what you can see or not see, does not define them. I mean, you wouldn't make a character whose only defining characteristic is they carry a two-handed bastard sword that does 20 damage. Well – well, let's let's slow down before we would make a claim that somebody wouldn't do that. Oh, they would. I'm sure they would. But, you know, th- that's not all that character does. You know, they've got other stats. Um, you know, they've got appearance. They've got charisma, everything else. Right. So, you know, my appearance stat can't be my defining characteristic. Absolutely. Oh, let, let, let's say somebody owns a game shop because you mentioned that game shops and uh, conventions are, are, are some spaces where you don't feel comfortable and you don't feel welcome. Uh if I'm a game shop owner, what can I do to make my store more appealing uh, for somebody who is uh, not even on the periphery of my community, is in my community, but does not feel comfortable in my space? Um, make it very clear and visible that everyone is welcome in your store. You know, and if you see tournaments or game nights happening where everyone looks the same, mm. um, reach out. Use social media. That's what it's there for. Go, hey – we noticed that our game nights, everybody's like a 20-something white dude. We know that other people live in this neighborhood. Reach out to the community because if you don't reach out and people don't feel welcome, they're not going to take that first step. Right, right. I, I mean, I think that's a great point because um, I, I see 
a lot of comments from folks going, well, I have this established thing, but if the established thing is what makes me unappealing, I don't know how to break free from the shell. It can be as easy as extending a hand uh, or just writing a post on social media saying other people are welcome because people notice that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's plenty of places where if they just said, you know, our shop is welcoming of everyone. Don't feel like you can't come in if you're like a person of color or queer or, or non-binary. Our shop is for everyone. And it, it's kind of a catch point too because like when you have women's game night or queer game night, it's showing you're welcoming but it also pigeonholes. Right, right. Because, well, if you're going to go to a game night, do I just have to go to queer game night? Right. Because, I mean, you know, queer folks, people of color, other marginalized folks – we're pretty good at making our own spaces. So, you know, while it's, it's great to do that on occasion or maybe even run specials on, Hey, it's, it's gay history month or LGBT history month. So these games, you know, that could have a, a queer bent to them or have a queer protagonist are on sale or something like that. But mostly letting people know that you are welcoming the doors always open is a big step because. Uh, there's a lot of stores where I don't find them on social media. I don't know they've got a Twitter account. Right. Um, so if you have the means or if anyone in your, in your group is savvy enough, use your social media because if people can't find you, they also don't know you're there. And, you know, neighborhood shop is great, but if you want other people to come to your neighborhood <laughs> shop. Right. And you don't even have so much as a Twitter or Facebook presence. People are going to go, oh, well, that's just for folks in that area. I don't live over there. Why am I going to make the trek across the city even if you're having like this awesome night with like D&D 3.5 all night and that's something I'd love to go do. Right, right. I think there is a lot of assuming that uh, if people want to be in a space – they will find the space, uh, which I mean, yeah, to, to a certain point, sure. If, if gamers want to go game, they will look for a game shop, but letting people know that they are specifically wanted somewhere is a huge step forward to breaking down the unspoken barriers, uh, that a lot of people have. And if you think, you know, I'm a reasonable person, I am not going to exclude anybody based on race or class or gender or uh, sexual orientation, what have you, uh, then maybe all you need to do is proclaim that. Uh, and that proclamation will signal to people that that barrier does not exist there. Uh, because these things don't change by people being quiet and hoping that they go away, which which it would be great if they did. <laughs> it would save everybody a lot of work. Yeah, if that was the case, the last year in gaming wouldn't have happened. Uh, <laughs> um, but the other part of it is back up your, your words. Um, if a disruptive element comes into your shop or people don't agree with it, make sure that your space is established as safe. Mm-hmm. Because you can have a sign up, you can welcome people, you can tell folks come to your shop. But if someone comes in and they mistreat other gamers or they, they run a disruptive session or they're just not respectful and you don't do anything about them, that will send a much stronger message of your all talk. Right, right. And it's also the sort of thing like I know nobody wants to have the uncomfortable conversation because people, not even at game stores, people at their tables will have, you know, uh, the quote unquote that guy at the table who makes the experience uncomfortable for other people. I know that the first instinct for a lot of nerds because, you know, 
we're a lot of things, but socially adept is not one of the things that we as a community need to claim. So I understand the instinct of wanting to run away from that conflict. Uh, but I urge you not to run away from that conflict. It, it might be a hard conversation. It might be an uncomfortable conversation. Uh, but if you look at the bright side of things, uh, maybe that person will stop doing that. And if they don't, they're probably not somebody that you want to keep inviting to spaces because they're only going to make them bad for a lot of people. And they're already bad for you because you're thinking of it. So why are you dealing with it? Yeah, don't be that guy. Because <laughs> um, I've, I've had a few game sessions when I was younger where it's just like, you know what? If that dude keeps coming back, I'm not going to come back. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, honestly, that could have been it. There, there, I, I, I mean, I'm sure if my first gaming experience, I had it with somebody who was a jerk, I probably would not be gaming to this day. That's, that's something that you can think about when, when you, not only act like that, but when you empower people to act like that by not doing anything, you are risking chasing away from the from our hobby, which is, you know, it's not doing great. <laughs> it's it's doing okay, but it's not video games. That's for darn sure. True. I mean, and video games still have a ways to go. Well, yeah, I, well, but sales wise, I'm talking oh, yeah. about. <laughs> okay, that's that's more than fair. Um, but you know, video games also have so much money pumped into them. Yeah. I mean, look at the ads for some games are like mini movies. No, I think that's my point is we don't have that money. And if we ever want that money, we, we have to, we have to do more than rely on that money just coming out of nowhere because it's not, it's going to come from people buying games and showing an interest in games. And, uh, to do that, uh, we have to encourage more people to join our little community. Yeah, and the the little community should have room to grow, mm-hmm. and that's the part that I'm always just kind of like, it's a small community. There's all this space to play in. Why do some people want to keep their one little corner for themselves? Yeah, I mean, it's I I know uh, I would not consider myself even a little bit to be part of the OSR community, uh, but I don't begrudge them having their community because it. You know, more games coming out means more people playing. Uh, and there are a lot of people who walk between different worlds. Uh, I don't understand arguments, uh, that people have like, well, no, no, the way we're doing it is the right way to do it. And it's like, there's no right way to do it. This hobby is so weird and diverse already that like it started with wargaming and now uh people who like me who are like actors and writers are really interested in another portion of it but it still falls under that category of rpg it's it's a broad place so it deserves to have this broad spectrum of interaction with it which is why i i'm so passionate about this yeah i mean and and you said role play Mm -hmm. there's no reason that I should always be stuck role playing the same archetype, or you should. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I was in a campaign that lasted two and a half years. Wow. Yeah, I missed that character. My first my first um, character in that campaign unfortunately died thanks to a dragon encounter. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was a bad end for for Velo. Oh, was, man. his he, name was Veal. Oof. Velo. V- well, yeah, but you shortened that to Veal. That dragon certainly did. Yeah. Yeah, I did. That he, and he was like, you know, already kind of 
staked and ready for, <laughs> for food. So <laughs> yeah, I kind of failed that, that attempt at escape. It was, it was not a good day for that character. Ranching outside of those archetypes. And like, th- thankfully we're, we're seeing plenty of games that are built with that specific purpose, which is mm-hmm. really cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to think of games I've played recently because unfortunately I haven't done a lot of tabletop recently, but I was in a 3-5 campaign for a while on Roll20 and we just kind of went wild. I got, I was like a half elf paladin that was like just very cranky. She was like straddling the line between not quite a good paladin <laughs> um, and, and getting kicked out because she was, the more the campaign went on, the more she got annoyed and, and veered toward losing her lawful good alignment. But things like that were like, you know, it's role play. I should be able to do anything I want to do within, you know, limits of the game system. But there shouldn't be, oh, well, you always have to be like the scruffy white dude adventurer with a two-handed sword and, you know, 18 strength stat. So... I, well, that's one of the things that I dearly, dearly love about role playing. It's a conversation and agreement between everybody who's sitting at that table. And... If there is somebody who's part of that conversation who is not physically sitting at that table, whether that is a bizarre sense of tradition or nostalgia, if that is dominating your conversation that you're having with your friends, I think you're entitled to kick it out uh, because the only people that matter are the people who are sitting in front of you and who you like having f- you know fun with. Yeah, I mean, because depending on, on your play style, you could be in a session where from a couple hours to like all night. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm sure we both had like those all night sessions where you're just like, the sun is up. <laughs> when did that happen? Oh man, shadow run. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Tanya, this has been a great conversation and I think, uh, my audience has a lot to think about and a lot to, uh, take action about. Uh, but if they want to find you, uh, and engage you in conversation or support what you're doing, uh, where can they find you? Okay, so there's a sort of a laundry list. Um, <laughs> We've so, got time. So my personal Twitter is Cypher of Tears, C-Y-P-H-E-R-O-F-T-Y-R. And the I Need Diverse Games Twitter is I Need D-I-V-G-M-S. Our site is I Need D-I-V-G-M-S.info. And you can also email us at games at gmail.com. And I often post kind of what I'm doing um, convention-wise and writing, etc., over at cypheroftier.com. And if you're feeling generous, we have a Patreon, mm-hmm. um, which is patreon.com backslash I need diverse games. And I will make sure that you have links to all of this for the show notes. Oh, and, and just so uh, people know going in, uh, what, what does the I need diverse games Patreon go to? How does it uh, further your efforts? Right now it's partially paying for our podcast which is fresh out of tokens. And, you know, those folks in tabletop, you are more than welcome to come on the show. It is not just video games. Um, it goes back out to the community mostly. So, you know, if someone wants to go to a convention and they need a little boost or um, we just did a giveaway because we reached 7,000 followers on our Tumblr and um, we're going to do GDC scholarships. Ooh. So this is our first year being subbed in the program and we got all access passes. That's really cool. Yeah. So unfortunately the, the Patreon right now doesn't bring in enough to do a travel grant, but what we'd like to do 
is at least be able to give something to people because, you know, maybe you live in San or San Francisco already, but maybe a hundred bucks would help you with meals during the convention. Right. Travel. right. Um, so basically just goes back out to the community. Um, what we want to really do is like get to a point where we can start paying people's like IGDA scholarships or other things or like, Hey, this is a really cool Kickstarter is very diverse. You know, our Patreon can go to help your Kickstarter. Um, you know, marketing things. Um, we, we went to three conventions this month. <laughs> um, so that, that was a lot of travel and things like that. So some of it does go back into paying ourselves to do the business of running the community, but you know, 99.9% of it goes back out. So if people need a boost, if they're going, Hey, this convention's 50 bucks, I don't have it. Send us an email if we can help you out. We're more than happy to do so. I mean, and that's one of the cool things about a community like this is there are a lot of people who are actively interested in this but don't have the time or are passively interested in like, oh, yeah, I would like to see more diverse games out there. This is a centralized location of people who are dedicated to doing the thing that you are interested in seeing. Uh, so I definitely recommend Heroes if uh, this is the sort of thing that interests you to head over to their Patreon because uh, gaming is something that takes time, takes money, takes that investment. Uh, and seeing somebody recognize that, uh, creating scholarship programs, uh, going around to different conventions and being that voice that we need in our community, that's something worth getting behind. Again, Tanya, thank you so much for coming on the show, talking to us. I would love to have you back on One Shot so that we could play a game together. You are very welcome. And I actually uh, brought my dice with me, so <laughs> maybe we can do a, a one-time campaign because that would be awesome because I don't get to do as much tabletop as I'd like to. <laughs> well, I'm sure we can help you out with that. Awesome. Well, heroes, that's it for One Shot this week. I certainly hope you enjoyed our actual play and our interview this week. One Shot will be back next week to introduce the new members of the One Shot family, Alex Roberts and Megan Dornbrock. Alex will be joining us to do her new show, Backstory, an interview program that gets an in-depth look at people's relationship with gaming. She'll be collecting stories of games from big and little names in the gaming community. Megan will be joining us to do her show, Modifier. A show that, like the title says, will be investigating the modifications that we make to games. This can be the hardcore rules hacking of developing your own system, or the light homebrewing that we all do from day to day to make our games work. Megan will be talking to various personalities around gaming to find how we push, bend, and even break some rules to have fun. You'll be getting to know both of them next week as we introduce them to you by playing Companion's Tale. Be sure to check out the latest project from Paracosm Press, Noisy Person Cards, by heading to paracosmpress.com slash npc. That's p-a-r-a-c-o-s-m press dot com slash npc. You can find links to that in the show notes as well. One Shot is a proud partner in the Chicago Podcast Co-op. If you're an advertiser in the Chicago area looking to reach an engaged Chicago audience, be sure to contact the co-op about advertising opportunities. And if you're a listener who wants to find a new show to check out, be sure to listen to Your Chicago. Twice a month, hosts Stefiana and Arden chat with folks who make Chicago's legendary food, keep our streets safe, star in our shows, organize our festivals, play our unique music, and more. As always, a big thanks to our supporters on Patreon. 
If you want to help us in a non-monetary way, the best thing you can do is tell a friend about the show. You can also leave us a rating or review on iTunes. Every five-star review we get helps new people find the show. If you want to hear more from the show, be sure to follow us on Twitter at OneShotRPG. Look us up on Facebook at Facebook.com slash OneShotPod. Check out our Tumblr at OneShotPodcast.tumblr.com. Check out our Google Plus community. Or look for news on the site at OneShotPodcast.com. If you're looking to inquire about advertising rates, live appearances, and commissioning episodes, or you have a question or comment about something you heard on the show, contact us at GameMaster at OneShotPodcast.com. OneShot is a joint production between Peaches and Hot Sauce and Paracosm Press. Peaches and Hot Sauce is a Chicago-based comedy network with tons of great podcasts, videos, and live shows for you to check out at PeachesAndHotSauce.com. Finally, that music, which is right now swelling up over my voice, is Be Your Own Pet with Adventure, courtesy of Infinity Cat Records. See you next time, heroes! Because-